Good morning, everybody, and a warm welcome. It's the first time we've met together on a Sunday this year, um, so let's begin as we, we mean to go on by uh, singing um, worship and praise to our Lord and renewing our, our dedication um, for this new year. So we're going to be, begin by singing together Majesty and followed by I Want to Serve the Purpose of God. I want to serve the purpose of God in my generation. I want to serve the purpose of God while I'm alive. I want to give my life for something that lasts forever. Oh, I delight, I delight to do your will. Let's pray together. Father God, our calendars have turned over. A new year has begun. And this is the first time that we've met together on a Sunday morning to worship you and our Lord Jesus Christ. To think about everything that you've done for us and all the gifts that you give us. Lord, as we start this year, building our lives on all the years that have passed before, help us to grow in grace and strength and wisdom in our knowledge of you and your ways, and help us to shine ever more brighter to your glory. Amen. Steve's working hard today, stewarding, announcing, and he's going to give the first half of our announcements uh, now. Thank you very much, Steve. Uh, Morning all. Uh, First up, if someone can just keep an eye on the door at the back while I'm up here, uh, that'd be useful. Thank you, Steve. Uh, Charles has just asked me if I'll just give the pastoral news and the pastoral prayer at this point in the service. Um, I've been past details that Issa hasn't been well over the winter period so far, so I think it'd be really good if we can get in touch with Issa or send him a card, just let him know we're thinking about him and we'll pray about him shortly. Been past a couple of messages, apparently Alex and Kate got broken into at some point either yesterday or last night. Um, so I suspect that's why they're not around this morning, so we'll pray for them. And Lucy has started her latest lot of treatment, which will be taking place on a daily basis for the next four weeks, is it? So we'll pray for Lucy as well. Is there anybody else or anything else you would like us to pray for at this time? Okay, if there's nothing else, if you'd like to remain where you're seated, and we'll offer up these people to our Father. Father, your hand, it's a massive hand to be able to hold all of us in it. But it is a caring and tender hand that soothes and comforts. Father, that is the hand that we want our brothers and sisters, our friends and family, the people that we know, those that we don't know, to feel in their lives when they struggle when they're faced with hardships, when they're dealing with difficult things. Father, sometimes that hand may be us. And so I also pray that you motivate us to come alongside the people that need us, that need you. Father, we pray for Risa, who we know hasn't been well He may be in discomfort and pain. Father, we pray that you remove that from him and you heal him and he's able to come amongst us again soon. Father, we think of Alex and Kate and the children at this time and the real upheaval that they're going to be feeling to know that somebody has entered their home uninvited and taken things. Father, I pray that they know your peace at this time, that they remember 
where their treasure needs to be, but that you will help us to support them through this time. Father, bless Lucy and Tony and the girls with the strength to deal with the daily routine of Lucy going to hospital and being treated. It might only be a short thing she has to do each day, but Lord, it can weigh heavy upon the mind. So again, we ask for your peace upon Lucy. And may the treatment work, and may the cancer not come back. Father, we pray for Liz in Hereford, who has just lost her husband and is now left with the responsibility of bringing up her two boys on her own and dealing with that sadness and the grief and all those emotions are going to be flying around. Father, I pray, we pray that you surround Liz with all the help that she needs at this time. And Martin's son, who is suffering with leukaemia and is desperate to have that bone marrow transplant take place. It doesn't sound like there is a suitable donor has been identified. Lord, I pray that you bring the right person forward to have the tests to find that they are compatible and they can do something that will give Martin some life. Father, we do urgently and strongly pray that that person comes forward. Father, we pray for Matt, who has also been in hospital. You know why and what for and how it's gone. Heal him and may the operation be successful and bring him back to us soon so we can share in his happiness. We pray for Chelsea, now with John and Angela in the home. It sounds like she needs enough thought in her life to get things going. Father, I pray that you present opportunities before her, opportunities that she can make use of and take hold of. That John and Angela are given the strength and support that they need to support their family with all the things that they're going through. You are a gracious and bountiful Father, and again we fall at your feet and ask you for these things. And Father, bless all of those in positions of responsibility and leadership and organisation within the church. There is lots of work to be done, Father. We only know some of the things that you have lined up for us this year. But Father, please give all those people who have stepped up the strength and encouragement they need, the wisdom to do the job well. And if there are others who are thinking about helping, Father, I pray that you continue to encourage them to find ways that they can help. Father, it feels just like a long list of things that we present before you. But that's okay, because you welcome and encourage us to do that. And so we thank you for being such a wonderful God that wants to hear about all our troubles and difficulties. And we know that you can give immeasurably more than we can possibly think of. Thank you, Father. Amen. Thank you, Steve. Steve mentioned that we always have a long list at this, this time on a Sunday morning. And that's right, because we're a big family with lots of extensions and lots of concerns and plans. But I thought it would be nice to sing together this song 
as we consider our uh, pastoral um, concerns. O love that will not let me go, I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe, that in thine ocean depths its flow may richer, fuller be. It's the most dangerous time of the year, at least in our house it is, and that's mostly down to me. Um, Too much time on my hands, time off work, at home, too much time to think, and that's dangerous. Usually every day comes with a new scheme of what we're going to do different in the new year, a new plan, a new plot. All these things that I'm trying to work out, like how I can get more exercise, spend more time with the family, do more stuff for church, work more effectively... And actually, I did come to, um, I had like an epiphany and I realised what I needed to do. It just took a small adjustment of the clock so that I now have 36 hours in the day and, and it all fitted in, in perfectly. <laughs> it's an important process to go through, I think, if we're going to make the most of the lives that we've been given. Because to a certain extent, we are architects of our own lives. I know there's lots of things that are out of our control and events that we, we um, can't foresee, but we do have choices that we make about how we build our lives. And we need to think about it and to think about how we can do it wisely. And so that's what we're going to focus on this morning. And uh, to begin our thoughts, we're going to take a reading from Genesis chapter 11, uh, which Lizzie is going to read for us. morning reading from genesis chapter 11 verses 1 to 9 now the whole world had one language and a common speech as men moved eastward they found a plain in china and settled there they said to each other come let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly they used bricks instead of stone and bitumen for mortar then they said come let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there all over the earth, And they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Thank you, Lizzie. It's a very uh, famous story, that is, a very intriguing one. And I have to confess, I I spent quite a lot, lot of time pondering what it is that it was saying, what it's saying for us today, here in, in 2013. Um, there's one kind of popular idea which I, I'm not sure I think is true, and, and that is that this is the point where all languages trace back to, this is the point where all, all uh, different languages started. I don't think that's right, because if you just, um, if you want to flick back to the, the chapter before, uh, chapter 10 and verse 5, there's a little after thought there, it's talking about the sons of Japheth, and it says, from these maritime people spread out into their territories by their clans, within their nations, each with his own language. So in the build-up to this, the clear were different nations and languages. 
So I think Babel is a local event, and it's, it's a kind of a, a linguistic, uh, a literary a flourish, if you like, to talk about it being the whole earth, a bit like the flood um, being talked about as the whole earth. But what is it that it's trying to say here? What does it say about God? Is it saying that he doesn't like progress? Uh, he's against development, a kind of divine planning officer. Apologies if there are any planning officers here. <laughs> um, I wonder, what's it saying? Um, scholars are kind of agreed that the way the, um, the tower probably was was something like we call a ziggurat today. Um, they look at the, the archaeology of the time and some of the clues in the text, and it probably was a ziggurat. Now, this is an example from Iraq. It's called the famous ziggurat of Ur. I'd never heard of it. Um, and it's um, half built here. And this bit, bit here is, is actually kind of a construction that Saddam Hussein put onto the ancient ruins to try and start rebuilding it. But as a, an artist's impression, this is, is what it probably would have started out, it would, probably would have been originally. And you get to see how, what a magnificent structure this would have been, this kind of, um, if you just describe it for Nancy, this kind of stepwise building, a bit like a, a, an Egyptian pyramid, except it's, the steps are, are greater. And um, they were really there as a, as a monument to people's pride, and, and they were showing off, really, when they, when they built these. They had a kind of religious significance as well. They often had a shrine at the top here, um, where they would have a, a shrine uh, to one of their gods. But mainly it was an edifice to their pride and to their reputation. One was even called um, the platform between heaven and earth. And that's probably what the, the people were building when they built the Tower of Babel. Something along these lines. But what does that tell us about the way um, we build our lives here in 2013? I think some of the, the language is quite interesting as well. If you look at, uh, say, verse 5, and the way it talks about God, it says, But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. That kind of language is quite uh, unique in a way, and it talks about God coming down to visit a place. There's only one other place that I could think of in the Bible where it talks in a similar way, and that's just a few pages back in Genesis chapter 3. <clears throat> I think it's quite telling that these two uh, different places are in a way telling the same story, if you like. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6, it says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to, it, to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God, as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? These are the only two instances I can think of where it talks of God almost uh, as a human coming here, in this case walking through the garden, or in the, in the case of uh, the Tower of Babel, God coming to, to have a look at what was going on. Because in the rest of the Bible, of course, God is omnipresent, omnipotent, and all the other omnis. He's, he's everywhere and in all. But in these few space, these two peculiar instances, it describes him as coming down to have a closer look. 
And I think it's because these two places are actually talking about the same thing, that human beings are trying to do things behind God's back, if you like. They're trying to do things without any consideration for God. And so the language changes to say to describe God just taking a few steps just to see what's going on. And in verse 5 of this chapter 3, you get to see um, the, the backstory. The serpent says to the woman, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So in these two situations, I think we find that people, human beings, are trying to be like God. In either taking the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, or in building a tower up to the sky, a platform between heaven and earth. So as we build our lives in 2013 using the raw materials that we have available to us, what are we doing? Are we trying to be the gods of our own existence? Or are we trying, as Paul would say, to build a temple of the Holy Spirit? Just go back to the account of, of Babel in uh, chapter 11. And verse 6 uh, struck me. It says, The Lord said... If as one, they, one people speak in the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. So God was watching on and seeing how they were all speaking the same language. And because of that and their own ingenuity, they were able to do so much. In a way, it's exactly what's happening in our world, isn't it? Globalization is exactly what uh, the situation um, that is described here. The world has become so much smaller. Through Facebook, I know what the weather is like for friends in Australia instantaneously. The world is tiny. I know what they're doing. I know what they had for breakfast. I'm not really bothered. I don't know why I put it up on Facebook. But the world is a tiny, tiny place. And human knowledge and human power are growing exponentially. And all those things, I think, are good things. I think they make the world a better place. But the, the tricky part is the fact that they make us avert our gaze, if you like. The more powerful and more knowledgeable we get, the more we focus on human, human endeavour and we avert our eyes from God. There's an interesting study carried out um, by some people in the University of Colorado and the London Business School. And what they did was they looked at 5.2 million books written by American authors over the last century, so from 1901 through to the year 2000. And they did a search of the kind of vocabulary that people were using through that time. And what they noticed was that there was a decrease in the kind of words which you might call, a, a, say, a moral words. So they, they noticed there was a decrease in words such as honesty, patience, honour, kindness, humility. But over that time, there was an increase in the kind of words that you might um, associate with independence and self-sufficiency. So things like discipline, reliability, dependability. Those kind of words increased over the century. And so the authors correlated this with the way human culture is going. It's, head, it's moving away from kind of moral qualities to more qualities of independence and self-sufficiency. The, they said... Our findings fit into this broad cultural picture in which individual achievement and fulfilment are valued above almost everything else. 
this is, I think, is the same kind of picture that we see exaggerated in the Tower of Babel. It's the diversion of our gaze from God to, to human endeavour. Not that human endeavour is wrong. It's a fantastic thing. But if it, it um, takes our eyes off God, then obviously it has negative consequences. And we can see that happening. What does it mean for us if we do find ourselves making ourselves the God of our own existence? Well, it means that our feelings come first. Our plans come first. Our thoughts come first above all other people. Maybe not as a conscious thought, but if we find us doing it subconsciously, putting ourselves first, then gradually we are becoming the gods of our own existence. Whereas, if we are building a temple of the Holy Spirit, then we build our lives thinking more about how we can serve. How about how we can grow the fruit of the Spirit, which are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. In other words, all the kind of things that were declining in the vocabulary of American books, 1901 to 2000. <laughs> Sounds like a mastermind topic, that doesn't it? <laughs> I'm definitely not preaching against ambition. I'm the last person who should be preaching against ambition because I think I'm quite an ambitious person. I think ambition is brilliant. It gets you out of bed when you don't feel like it, enthuses you, encourages you, and it can inspire other people to, to do more. What I'm questioning is the fuel that I use for that ambition and how I shape and guide that ambition. What principles am I using um, to do that? Shakespeare said that virtue is choked by foul ambition. And we see that everywhere in the world, that virtue is choked by foul ambition. You can see it in the banking crisis, how people lost their moral compass, to use the, the phrase that was popular, and had, had no moral inclination, were just set on, on getting the next bonus and the bigger bonus and the next bonus. Virtue was choked by foul ambition. We saw it in the revelations of the Hillsborough disaster, how uh, the people were more interested in progressing their careers than um, the names of people who had died innocently. It happens all across um, society that virtue is choked by foul ambition. But there is an opposite to that. I think virtue is encouraged by pure ambition. Virtue is brought to life by pure ambition. People who think about their lives according to godly principles and plot ways of animating their life with godly principles bring virtue to life here in 2013 in our times and our places. God is ambitious. Just next chapter, uh, chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Abraham, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. God was ambitious for Abraham. God said he was going to make him into a great nation, to be a blessing for all people. That's ambition. And God is ambitious for you that in this generation you can shine like a star in the darkness. Another person in the Bible who knew a lot about building was uh, Solomon. Obviously he, he built the, the uh, original temple. And I'm going to read from Ecclesiastes chapter 2 
uh, which finds Solomon at his most cheeriest. <laughs> and Becky Brighouse is going to read this for us. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. I thought in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is foolish. What does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was worthwhile for men to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired men and women singers and a harem as well, the delights of the heart of man. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work, and this was the reward for all my labour. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Then I turned my thoughts to consider wisdom, And also madness and folly. What more can the king's successor do than what has already been done? I saw that wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. The wise man has eyes in his head, while the fool walks in the darkness. But I came to realise that the same fate overtakes them both. Then I thought in my heart... The fate of the fool will overtake, overtake me also. What then do I gain by being wise? I said in my heart, this too is meaningless. For the wise man, like the fool, will not be long remembered. In days to come, both will be forgotten. Like the fool, the wise man too must die. So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool. Yet he will have control over all the work into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labour under the sun. For a man may do his work with wisdom, knowledge and skill, and then he must leave all he owns to someone who has not worked for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. What does a man get for all the toil and anxious striving with which he labours under the sun? All his days his work is pain and grief. Even at night his mind does not rest. This too is meaningless. 
A man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? To the man who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Some people find uh, Ecclesiastes quite depressing. I don't, actually. I, I think Solomon was just someone who had a very acute perception of reality. And he articulated it really well. And he had that perception because he, did, he had an extreme life, didn't he? Extreme wisdom, extreme women, extreme money. Everything was in extremes, extreme projects. Everything was in extremes. And because he did everything in extremes, I think the clarity that he had at the end of it, at the end of those extremes, was all the, all the stronger for us. And he summed it up, actually, in a psalm he wrote, Psalm 127, where he says, Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders build in vain. And that's the nutshell, really. As we make our plans for 2013, unless the Lord builds a house, we do it in vain. So whatever plans we have, whatever ambitions we have, we need to make sure that they're fueled by our fervour for God and for his principles animating them in our lives. And that as the year progresses, we make sure that we're always building according to those principles. Because we know that 2013 will have plenty of opportunities. It will also have plenty of setbacks. You can guarantee both of them. The question is, as we make these our plans, is how we're building them. And unless the Lord builds the house, then we do it in vain. Let's build, as Jesus says, on rock and not sand. And as it turns out, the rock is Jesus himself. We're going to take some bread and wine shortly. Before we do, we're going to sing from the hymn book. Uh, number 204 there's one particular verse which is a reason why I chose this three dear name the rock on which I build my shield and hiding place my never failing treasury filled with boundless stores of grace Let's pray. Father, you sent us, Jesus, uh, into the world to forgive our sins, if we believe in him, and also to, to show us you, show us uh, your love, your grace, your compassion, everything about you that, that we would struggle with without being able to see those things in Jesus, and we thank you for that. We thank you that uh, you love us so much you are willing to uh, allow him to die to show us how much you love us and so that, so that we might uh, be reconciled to you and to become a part of your family. And Father, it's, it's a humbling and amazing thing and we thank you 
We thank you for that. We thank you for this bread that reminds us uh, of his body. And as we share this bread, Father, we, uh, we think of, as well as, as his death, we think of uh, the fact that we are a part of your body, a part of your family. And we thank you for that too. And we pray that you will uh, help us to be more like your son. Lord Jesus, help us to be, to be more like you. Help us to, to remember you always by our side. Um, in everything that we do, in in in, uh, in all our uh, ambitions, and in, in just in the way that we live our lives, Lord Jesus, be with us and help us uh, help us to live our lives for you. So bless us, Lord. We pray as we share this bread together, and as we remember your incredible love for us. Amen. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud, and they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food, and they drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Father of love, we are surrounded by so many distractions, whether it's the adverts on TV or the posters at the bus stop or the latest results from the FA Cup or whatever it is. Father, there are so many things that demand our attention and more often than not, we give them our 100% attention. And Father, in all of these pretty much, it's all about the I, the me. It's all about me and what I want. But Father, we know that all of these things are meaningless under the sun, a mere chasing after the wind, pointless, a complete waste of time when we compare them to the things of you and the things of your Son, the Lord Jesus. And so, Father, it is with such thankfulness that we Share and pass this cup of wine amongst us now. A reminder of the most important thing. A reminder of the fact that you gave your son, the Lord Jesus, a perfect sacrifice for each and every one of us. And we know, Father, that that is what counts that is what matters and that that is what is true and what is constant and that will never fail us so father we thank you for this wine
and we pray. We pray that we will hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Father, thank you for this wine. Lord Jesus, thank you for giving your life for us. Amen. Our loving Heavenly Father, oh what a joy it will be and oh what praise we will sing at that day, that wonderful day when Jesus returns. Charles has led us into some beautiful thoughts this morning and we are so thankful for that. Everything has been so wonderfully presented, our prayers, our thoughts, What a blessing we have, Heavenly Father, to be part of your wonderful family. I find it difficult to find words of such joy that we feel in being a part of that wonderful family you have created on this earth for all people who want to find you and Jesus in their lives. What a tremendous blessing that is, Heavenly Father. And we do thank you for it. We thank you for this lovely morning we spent together in praise and in singing and in thought and how wonderful blessed we are. So, Heavenly Father, let us, at the beginning of this new year, be so thankful that we can lift our heads high and say, thank you, Heavenly Father, for your blessing for each and every one of us to be a part of your wonderful family. We pray that that day may soon come when Jesus will make this wonderful world of yours perfect. What a wonderful anticipation we have for that day. So we do thank you for this time together, Heavenly Father. We are truly, truly blessed. And thank you for Jesus, because we know that you wanted to see in Jesus yourself, your wonderful, creative self, Heavenly Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you've done for us and the example you set for us day by day in our lives. Amen.